Well, we reflect on the, the teachings of Anicca, Dukkha, Anatta, and their relationship to the five khandhas, to form, feeling, perception, mental formations, consciousness. We recite these words in the morning chanting, and the the terms can become quite familiar to us. But also just that quality of repetition, recitation, can make those qualities more remote. Anicca is talking about something other, or Rupa is form over there, something else. Becomes remote, kind of abstract concepts. But to apply these teachings, to use these these reflections day by day, moment by moment, then they need to be brought to heart. It's you know, this rupa, this body, this material form, this this temple that we're sitting in, the planet that we're we're sitting on. This is rupa. This body, Vedana is these feelings, the weight of this body, the sensation of the cloth on our skin, the sound of this voice, the colors and shapes of the visual world, tastes and smells, tangible objects. So it's a question of bringing these reflections alive, breathing life into them, moment by moment. Anicca, dukkha, anatta are not just concepts, they're qualities of the natural world, the natural order. Though the idea of them is one thing, Understanding the concept of them is one thing. But really seeing through that particular lens, seeing things in those terms, processing the, the field of this experience, of this moment, through those, uh, those lenses, those frameworks, and then witnessing the result of that seeing the changes in the heart that occur when it's really recognized that what's felt, what's known, is incessant, fluid change. There isn't a thing that can permanently or completely satisfy, that can be owned. When we look for the thing that we are, no thing, no solid, independent thing can be found. It's only when these principles are applied, used as a means of exploring, examining this experience of being, this mysterious human life of ours, using those tools to examine, to explore, investigate, when they're applied, 
then there's a change of heart that comes with that. Things are seen differently, known and held differently. Self-view is interrupted, falls apart, even just for a moment. The way we look upon this life, being a person, being a woman, being a man, being tall or short, old or young, our name, our age, our nationality, our role in the community as a layperson or as a monastic. In those moments of clear seeing, those are all recognized as transparent, empty, insubstantial, void. There can't be anything there. There's no solid thing there. And that's known not just as an idea or a set of words, but it's known directly. Non-conceptually, non-verbally. A direct seeing, a direct knowing. As this insight, this way of seeing, this mode of seeing and knowing is established, it breaks up the habitual, familiar ways of thinking of who and what we are. I'm a monk, I'm a nun, I'm a layperson. This is my name, this is where I come from, I'm so many years old. This insight breaks up all of that. So there's a, a sense of loss that's quite common. The familiar reference points are gone. The usual ways of thinking and conceiving who we are are gone. So to the ego, to the habits of self-view, that can be threatening, disturbing. But to the jitta itself, to the heart, it's profoundly liberating, freeing. So there's often this bittersweet mixture. This is often the flavor of Dhamma itself, a bitter sweetness. The bitterness of letting go of the habits of self-view, the familiar, well-known eyes and me's and minds. And the sweetness of recognizing that's never what we were in the first place. That was burdensome to be believed in, to be carried around. The burden can be put down, let go of. Though in this process, it's part of it is training the heart to be comfortable with undefined being not being anything, not being a woman, a man, a person, not being any place, not having anything, not lacking anything. To be at home, to be at ease with that lack of definition, that 
what Lumpur Chao would call the, the place of no abiding. This is a large part of the training, to be at home, to be comfortable with undefined being. We like to to name, to conceive what we are. But in terms of practicing Dhamma, there needs to be a, a letting go, a lack of conceiving, a refraining from conceptualizing and forming an I or a me or a mine of any kind. When the Buddha was explaining this principle to Vachagota, he said, that material form whereby someone trying to, de- to describe the Tathagata would describe him has been cut off at the root, made like a palm tree stump, deprived of the conditions for existence and been rendered incapable of arising in the future. So too, those feelings, perceptions, mental formations, consciousness, that one would used to try to describe the Tathagata. It's all been cut off of the root, made like a palm tree stump, deprived of the conditions for existence and rendered incapable of arising in the future. The bridge is down. The Tathagata, that awake, aware quality of the heart, that knowing quality of the heart, can't be described in terms of the five khandhas. So this is the implication when we say that the body is not self, feelings are not self, perceptions are not self. It's not just the words that we recite in the morning chanting. It's this change of heart that recognizes directly. You can't define what this is in terms of rupa, vedana, sanya, sankara, vijnana. doesn't apply. has no meaning, no value. that whereby one trying to describe the Tathagata would describe him. Any aspect of the five khandhas doesn't apply. He goes on to say that Tathagata is liberated from, from being reckoned, from being measured in terms of material form, feeling, perceptions, mental formations, consciousness. He's profound, immeasurable, unfathomable, like the great ocean. Tathagata means thus come, thus gone. That transcendent and present, imminent quality of awareness, of knowing. It can't be reckoned in terms of the body, feelings, perceptions, mental formations, consciousness. Our name, our age, our gender, our role, our story, none of that applies. But it is as a suchness that is profound, immeasurable, unfathomable. So in this very statement to Vachagota, the Buddha is saying, there is this quality, the Tathagata is, but you can't define that isness in terms of our ordinary relationship to the five khandhas, to the sense world. 
It's a different order of isness, tatata, suchness. The most he says is it's profound, immeasurable, unfathomable, like the great ocean. So like standing at the shore of the sea, looking out to the horizon, has a vastness, an immeasurable quality. There's a dynamism, an energy, the, the, the sea is ever-moving, energetic. You can't see what's below the surface. Profound, immeasurable, unfathomable. So there's a presence there of great, of immeasurable power and reality, significance, but you can't name it or define it in our ordinary, everyday terms. In terms of time, identity, location, cause and effect, language, number, all those familiar reference points don't apply. That currency has no value here. So it takes a certain resolve, a certain strength to be comfortable with that lack of definition, to embody that quality of suchness, to be that knowing, being Dhamma, and to leave it at that, not to add on any kind of I-making or mind-making. I am this, this is me. To sustain that quality of a vision of knowing that sees through all the aspects of eye-making and mind-making. This is challenging, but it's doable and profoundly liberating. As, as that eye-making and mind-making habit is let go of, all those eyes and means are mind, and minds are, are seen through, are known as empty, void, transparent, what remains is the profound, immeasurable, unfathomable, unfathomable quality of the jitta. When the Buddha was sitting face to face with the bhikkhu Anuradha, he questioned him in the same kind of fashion. He said, Anuradha, can you can you say that the, the Tathagata is material form, or is feeling, or is perception, is mental formations, is consciousness? And Arada says, no, you can't say that. And the Buddha asks, well, can you say that the, the Tathagata is, is in the five khandhas? No, you can't say that. Can you say the Tathagata is apart from the five khandhas? No, you can't really say that. Can you say that the Tathagata is the five khandhas as a whole? Or is he one who doesn't have the five khandhas? All these different angles, Anuradha has to say, no, that's not the case. So then the Buddha says, so the Tathagata, even though he's sitting here face to face with you, is unapprehendable here and now. Not graspable, not definable. 
Then he goes on to say, what I teach now as formerly is dukkha and the ending of dukkha. So the thinking mind, the conceiving mind, grasps and gropes and fumbles to try and create some sort of a me, some kind of a definition, an image. But this quality of awakened awareness, this suchness of of the Dhamma itself, is intrinsically ungraspable, unownable, unimaginable, unapprehendable. We can witness those habits of trying to grasp and fumble and be something, to know those, feel those, let them go. And when they're let go of, notice that what remains is the profound, immeasurable, unfathomable Dhamma, aware of its own nature. The jitta, aware of its own nature, here and now. Nothing to get. Nothing to lose. Nothing to be or not be. The Dhamma sustains itself, timeless, unlocated, non-personal. Boundless, unburdened. This is its nature. 